0: Hi, everyone. We predict there's going to be one company and one company only that's the king of China Tech headlines this month. And no, it's not ByteDance, exciting as the drama of its TikTok spinoff is turning out to be.
1: Nope. It's Ant Group and what might be the biggest offering in history. Yeah. Media is reporting that the company seeks to raise $30 billion in its IPO, which means it would edge out Saudi Arabia's Aramco, who raised $29.4 $29.4 billion last December, and of course, beating Alibaba's own IPO, which was a colossal $25 billion back in 2014. I don't know, I feel like they have to go
0: for the title of largest because they're so close, you know? And they already have the record for largest ever single private fundraise. That was when they raised a staggering $14 billion in 2018 at a $150 billion valuation which is also when we
1: first covered the company here on TechBuzz. Episode 11, Jack Ma's newest centicorn. Back then, Ant had just announced that it would gradually transition from the payments business, which accounted for over half of revenues, into a company that would rely mostly on what it calls technical services for revenue. Did
0: that happen? Quite a big business to be turning around, no? I mean, most people knew the payments business as Alipay, which had, let me check, 520 million users in 2018 and 54% of China's mobile payments market share. Probably a lot of people even today equate Ant with Alipay, but it's far beyond that now. Well, It's
1: not like Alipay hasn't grown. It has over 1 billion users and 80 million merchants. But even at that scale, the payments business is just over a third of revenues these days. That's right. That means the rest of the business grew even faster. In total revenues, probably over $20 billion this year. And that's with a 30% net margin. And what is all the rest of Ant? Well, if you went
0: back and listened to episode 11, or you just have an amazing memory, you'll have a good idea of some of those products. But today, we'll fill in the rest. And at the end, you tell us if you think Ant truly deserves the excitement around achieving the title of biggest IPO ever, or if you think, yeah, that might be true, but it's still just a lot of hype. That's
1: the President's key Economic Team goes to China. Uh, after whole night banking, I say, I still want to do it. <laughs>
0: Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two
1: co-hosts, Ying Lu. And I'm your other co-host, Ray Ma. We are part of the Seneca Podcast Network, created by SubChina. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs. And we're also proud to be partnered with Financial Times' Tech Scroll Asia, a newsletter on Asia tech news from one of the best publications in the business. Go to ft.com slash tech scroll Asia to sign up today.
0: And as always, we are still looking for more reviews on Apple Podcasts. Send either of us a screenshot of your review, and we will gift you a free three-month subscription to our Extra Buzz newsletter. You can send me an email at ying at techbuzzchina.com. Several of you have already claimed this, and we love it when you do. Thanks so much.
1: We thought about waiting for the IPO to drop before we recorded this episode, but nah. I think the 674-page preliminary prospectus gives us way enough to work with. Too much, actually. So we have to necessarily cut out some parts of the business and keep in only the most important ones. Okay, before we start, I have a suggestion
0: on how you can listen to this episode most effectively without getting lost, because Ant really does have a lot of stuff going on, and it is kind of confusing. And that is, remember these following revenue segments, and always ask yourself, which revenue segment does this service fall into? The segments are as follows, digital payments and merchant services, and credit tech, Investment tech and insure tech, all of which do pretty much exactly what their names tell
1: you they do. Yep, no points for creativity there. But also, this that payments is about a bit over a third of the revenue stream, and that of the remaining two thirds, credit tech accounts for over 60%, which means that actually, credit tech is nearly 40% of total revenues and has the single largest slice with investment tech lagging far behind at 15% and insure tech barely registering at 8%.
0: Which means that to understand Ant, you must know its payments and credit tech businesses. And luckily for you, we are going to be spending a lot of time on those. But first, let's get back to the history of how Ant got started. Of course, that means we go back in time to the early 2000s, where Alibaba has been around for four years, and it's looking at launching a C2C marketplace where people can buy stuff from each other, because
1: back then, eBay was all the rage. That, of course, was Taobao, which was launched in May 2003. And the very first problem it had to solve was trust. How do you get strangers separated by thousands of miles to send money to each other? Remember, international payment mechanisms such as PayPal didn't really work in China at this point. So the obvious solution was Alibaba had to make its own escrow service. Enter Alipay. Supposedly, the
0: first transaction completed under the system was a used digital camera sold in October 2003. That is five months after Taobao officially launched. Despite guaranteeing the transaction, customer service had to step in and convince the buyer not to back out. It was at the time still a pretty newfangled concept. But because
1: it made so much sense, by the beginning of 2004, 70% of transactions on Taobao would be available through Alipay. Jack Ma, though, was not content to let Alipay be a part of Taobao. He firmly believed that it should be a payment platform for everyone in the industry, and that consumer confidence and trust in online transactions hinged upon its success.
0: Which is why, in December 2004, a bit over a year after it was first launched, Alipay became its standalone product with its own account system. Thereafter, Alipay launched marketing campaigns basically guaranteeing payments in full and
1: quickly grew its user base. Things were looking good, but there was just one thing. People still thought Alipay was tied to Taobao. In order to correct that misconception, Alipay spent the next several years establishing partnerships, such as with gaming companies so you could prepay for your World of Warcraft gameplay, for example, and even expanded abroad dipping its toe in the international market by going to Hong Kong in 2007. It was definitely the market leader at this point,
0: but it was still, honestly speaking, a piece of crap to use. You had to jump through seven pages to complete a single transaction, and that's because everything still had to go through your internet banking system, and completion rates were low. Well, not that low,
1: something like 60%. Yeah, I personally never really use Alipay because when I arrived in China in 2007, it just seemed such a pain to use. But it's undeniable that they were pioneers and built a playbook by which others, like Tencent WeChat, would later study and emulate and directly benefit
0: from. Indeed, in 2010, they sat down with a bunch of traditional banking partners and outlined how to decrease friction for the transaction. Things were greatly streamlined so that all you really had to do was to put in your PIN. That boosted completion rates to 90%. This was called 快捷支付, or Quick Pay.
1: Part of the streamlining also meant that now you didn't have to do all of your payments in Internet Explorer anymore, because that was the only browser compatible with the Chinese banking system. Remember those early days? It was pretty inconvenient. But now, all of a sudden, Alipay could work in other browsers and on other operating systems. Something else happened around this time that was also
0: crucial to Alipay's success, and that was the invention of Singles Day. We talked about the history of the massive shopping quote-unquote holiday in TechBuzz episode 29, but basically, now Alibaba CEO Daniel Zhang decided that since China didn't have its corresponding Black Friday, why didn't
1: Alibaba just make one up out of thin air? And you already know how the story goes. This was one of those overnight runaway successes, and pretty much immediately, Alibaba has to figure out. How do we beef up the payment system? Because we're really putting a lot of stress on it by sending through what was then considered a staggering thousands of transactions a minute. Well, last year's single
0: stay was a peak of more than half a million transactions per second. So Alipay has come a long way since then. At the time, though, it wasn't so obvious that building their own cloud and database management system versus, say, using an existing open source one was the right play. It was certainly the harder play. But then that's paid off, because now Aliyun, that is Alibaba Cloud,
1: is the third largest provider globally. Okay, but that's not part of Ant Group. We're just going down the timeline of all the big milestones in Ant's life. And now, of course, we've arrived at around 2011-2012, which is when Chinese adoption of smartphones goes through the roof. Mobile internet users officially exceed PC internet users in mid-2012, and also when WeChat launches and takes the country by storm. But
0: before we go there, let's officially recognize the spinning off of Ant from Alibaba. We won't go into detail here because we did that once already in episode 11, when the company was still called Ant Financial and worth just $150 billion. Right.
1: The TLDR is that the Chinese government, who was in the process of regulating third-party payment providers, might deny Alipay one of the coveted operating licenses because it was foreign-owned or so Jack Mock claimed. So he decided to spin off the payment business to a separate entity he owned 80% of. Boom. Problem solved. No longer foreign owned. Why would Alibaba ever have been considered a foreign
0: company, you ask? Well, it was majority owned by Yahoo and SoftBank, an American company and a Japanese company at the time. I mean, yeah, I know it's kind of a weak excuse since so was Tencent, but because there was a long lag before the spinoff occurred and when it was discovered, actually almost two years since the first transaction, People just had to work with it. The spin off was not going to get unwound, and the parties, some of whom hated each other, like Jack and Yahoo, just had to come to a compromise. Have Alibaba own about a third of this new entity with Alipay in it and call that new thing
1: Ant. Ant because the focus on small customers, whether they be individuals or small businesses. But this is why most of those Most valuable startup lists don't include Ant, because it wasn't built from the ground up. I mean, its series B was $4.5 billion. That was in 2016. It definitely doesn't look like a startup, right? Jack Ma, by the way, doesn't own 80% of Ant these days. But you don't need to shed any tears for him either. His 8.8% stake in Ant is worth about $18 billion, at least at the current floated IPO valuation of $200 billion. Sure,
0: the secret Alipay spinoff was pretty shady, but the man also does know what he's doing. For example, Jack Ma very early on perceived that mobile internet was going to be the next big thing, and he had the Alipay team launch an app in 2009. He also perceived the threat of WeChat early on and had Alipay accept QR codes so that it could be used more easily for not just online, but also offline transactions. This was really smart strategically. And of course, WeChat did the same. China is the land of QR codes. For a while, it was a race between these two giants to see how many merchants they could sign up to accept their respective
1: payment apps. This is where we'll go really quickly through the next several years, because... Please, do go back and listen to Tech Buzz episode 11, will you, if you want more details? Meanwhile, we're in year 2013 of our retelling, and Alibaba launches Uooba, this super liquid money market fund account that you could start investing in for as little as 1 RMB, that's like 15 cents, and receive interest daily. Actually, you could do 24-7 withdrawals and deposits. I mean, why not? It's all just a few taps in the app.
0: The interest rate you got every day fluctuated with the market, but the extremely low barrier to entry and the daily liquidity as well as a super simple app experience meant that this product exploded in popularity. Think about it. You are getting returns on a consumer finance product that is effectively as easy to use as your checking account. As many people have pointed out, this was as revolutionary as Robinhood with their no fee trading and fractional shares.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how much easier you can make it. You'd literally have to make it connected to your brain, like Elon Musk's Neuralink or something. So, you know, you don't even have to tap. Anyway, just as Robinhood was to stock trading, Alibaba's Yu'ebao was to Alipay's asset management business. In case you're curious, by the way, UoBall is $173 billion today. Remember what we said about the revenue segments. It should be pretty clear that this is the beginning of that 15% of the business called investment tech. Let's try to
0: keep it in chronological order, though, and since we're still summarizing stuff we went through in episode 11, let's just skip a bit more than a year ahead to January 2015, when Ant launched Sesame Credit, Zhima Xinyong. TLDR, China doesn't have a credit scoring system. The Chinese government decides to rectify this by giving out eight sort of preliminary licenses, but basically it's permission to engage in credit scoring to various entities and of course receives 1 and so does 10 cent but that's how sesame
1: credit was born the main consumer facing product is basically your sesame credit score which according to the website is calculated by your credit history behavior and preferences how well you fulfilled past contracts other identity factors and your personal connections Note that this is substantially broader than what your U.S. credit score would reveal, which is really just how much debt you've taken on and currently allowed to take on, and what that looks like compared to your income and how creditworthy you've been in the past.
0: And this is where we're getting into new territory, and you're pretty much caught up, product-wise anyway, on all the ant products that we had covered on TechBuzz before. They are huabe and siebe which mean just spend and
1: just borrow, respectively. I was going to explain them in my own words, but actually, I think the prospectus does a mighty fine job, bless those hardworking bankers and lawyers. And so here's how Ant describes them. In 2014, we launched Huabei, which was among the first digital unsecured revolving credit products for daily expenditures offered to consumers in China. In 2015, we launched Jiebei, a short-term digital, unsecured consumer credit product for larger consumption transactions, to meet the spending needs of HuaBei users who develop a sufficient credit history.
0: Yeah, that's pretty clear, I think. Basically, Huawei is like a credit card, albeit a virtual one. In fact, its English name is Ant Credit Pay. You apply for a credit line, and you can get anywhere from as low as $7 and up to $7,000 in credit available immediately. Unfortunately, I have my U.S. number tied to my Alipay account, so couldn't get approval. But given that my Sesame credit score is very average since I never use it, and that's a key determinant of how much I'd be able to get through Huabei, I'm probably nearer $7 than the $7,000. And there are limitations
1: to Huabei. Just like Alipay or MasterCard or Visa, it's not accepted everywhere. But most e-commerce sites accept it and a growing number of offline merchants as well. And you can now get a $70 monthly credit line even for those merchants who don't accept it. Not much, but better than nothing. Most importantly though, you can't get cash advances on Huawei. It's prohibited. And if you're found out to be doing it, you'd get your account frozen pretty quickly.
0: By the way, the cash advance industry is a pretty big one in China. I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but here in the US, it's pretty expensive to get a cash advance from your credit card because of extra fees, higher interest rates, no grace period on collecting interest, etc. In China, you have higher fees. And the fact that you have to repay the cash balance all at once. You can't pay a minimum balance like you can with your typical credit card balances, which makes it doubly more attractive
1: to try to game the system if you want to get cash. Yeah, which is why you have a ton of folks with POS, that's point of sale, machines, whose business model is literally to help you taoxian. That is, to get a cash advance by using your credit card and faking a transaction. It's not allowed, of course, but that hasn't stopped people from doing it. As we've said, Huabei bans it too, and tries to catch it using advanced anti-fraud software. But some estimates put fraudulent transactions at up to one-third of total transaction volumes, so I don't know that it's going away anytime soon. It's also one of the things my investor friends are always looking for, to understand the true volume of the transaction platforms they're looking at investing in.
0: But still, for Huabei, this risk is capped, on an individual level anyway. While Huabei credit limits do go up to $7,000, your average user is going to be much lower than that. Remember, in China, where monthly salaries begin at $1,000 or lower, Huabei is meant to be your everyday consumption and not big-ticket items, so it is sufficient if you're being financially prudent. You can think of Huabe as the proprietary and controlled system where ant is able to have a really good grasp of the delinquency
1: or default risk because limits are low and spending is restricted. Chibe, on the other hand, is much riskier from ant's perspective anyway. That's because it's basically a consumer loan. I mean, that's its name, right? Just borrow. It's only available for those with Sesame credit scores above 600, so I don't even qualify for it. But you can borrow quite a bit with Jiabe, over $40,000. And it has a daily interest rate of 0.02 to 0.05%, depending on your credit score, which is like somewhere around 10 to 20% annualized. Jiebei, whose English name is Ant Cash Now, solves the
0: problem that consumers in China have been having for a long time, which is just access to affordable short-term loans. And Jiebei, unlike Huabei, is not tied to consumption,
1: so you could use the money towards whatever you want. Amazing, right? Well, yes, sort of. You see, there is a cost to using Jiebei. In 2008, China established a sort of centralized personal credit system called the PBC-CRC. And guess what? All Jiebei loans go through a credit check through this official system, which all of the banks plug into, and so each inquiry is kind of like a hard credit check here in the US, which can actually impact your ability to get a loan at a traditional bank, such as for a mortgage. I don't know what's the equivalent for other countries, but basically, if you have more than a few of these hard credit checks in the last year or two, it's seen as a red flag.
0: So use at your discretion. Given how young China's credit system is, I can't fault users for being confused about how this all works. But there are horror stories of people being denied bank loans after using Jiebei on the interwebs. Which is why when Huabei said it would also start plugging into the nationwide credit system this summer, people started freaking out and were debating whether or not to abandon the product.
1: I mean, I think people are just assuming it's going to be a hard credit inquiry every time they use it which I can't imagine being the case. But if it's not, and it's actually going to help them instead of hurt them when they use Huawei responsibly, which would be my guess, then they'll probably welcome it. Either way, this isn't going away. Ant's Sesame Credit, along with seven other credit companies, including ones from Tencent and Ping'an, formed another credit system in 2018 with the blessing of the government. So we're
0: calling it a system even though Baihang Credit, Baihang Zhengxin, is technically a company, just not one operating solely for the sake of profit. Remember those eight preliminary licenses we talked about earlier, one of which Sesame Credit received? Well, the government decided that actually we're just going to combine all of you into one. You guys are now all partial owners of one company. The National Internet Finance Association of China owns 36% and the rest of you own
1: 8% each. You might be rolling your eyes now thinking, that's so China. But actually hear us out. It makes a lot of sense. Someone who operates a credit system shouldn't also be operating other financial businesses because then they lose objectivity and independence. And obviously, Ant and Tencent and every other player do have other businesses, So that's strike one, then strike two is that for credit agencies, you can't have whoever collects the data, own that data and not share it. Again, that's exactly what the internet companies are doing. So to solve this,
0: for now, all eight of the companies own a stake in Hong, although they have no operational control. And they can still do their own scoring or whatever, but they just can't pass it off as a citizen's definitive credit score. Like your Sesame score is your Sesame score. It's not your credit score. And until the government figures out a better solution,
1: this is how it's going to be. Yeah, the Chinese government does this a lot. Issue draft orders, and give out preliminary licenses, and then change their mind. The pro is that you might not know how to regulate a fast-growing industry, so you give yourself the flexibility of changing your tactics. The con is that no one knows what's coming down the line, and it can be kind of scary to operate when you have regulatory uncertainty like this. But all right, All you really need to take away from all of
0: this is that the Chinese consumer finance industry is very young, really young, so young that you could argue the industry didn't even really get started until the CBIRC, that is the China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission, issued some guidelines in 2009 and started regulating it in earnest in 2015. It's been growing rapidly in the past five years, tripling to $1.4 trillion or so by 2019. But that's still much smaller than the U.S., which sits at over $4 trillion, which means that China is only just one-third the size of the U.S., despite having
1: five times the population. Ant's credit tech business, by the way, has a balance of over $300 billion as of June 30th of this year with 80% of it in consumer debt and 20% of it in SMB debt. But these numbers aren't even that big. I mean, we haven't even told you how much in payments flowed through the Alipay platform in the last 12 months. That number is $17 trillion. And all about $100 billion or so of that is from inside China. Large as that market is, growth is slowing,
0: down from 23% in 2018 to just 17% in 2019. And margins are razor thin. In fact, we can basically do some simple math and arrive at the conclusion that Ant is only getting something like 0.05% of each transaction. It's no wonder then that the credit tech products like Huabe and jiebei are now bigger than Alipay
1: revenue-wise. Remember that Huawei is about 9% annualized, and Diabe can be as much as double that. With how much room there is left to grow for this whole sector, no wonder the bulls are ultra-excited about the prospects. And especially since Ant is doing barely any of the actual underwriting or risk assumption here. According to its prospectus, 98% of the credit balance originating through the platform is now underwritten by one of their approximately 100 partner financial institutions. Or securitized. The largest partner for all that SMB
0: credit tech and investment tech, by the way, is going through MyBank, an online only lender that Ant owns 30% of. According to MyBank, it can approve loans in a 310 format, which stands for three minutes to apply one second to get a decision and zero humans involved, which makes it super cheap to operate versus a traditional bank and a very attractive alternative for the 80% of the small businesses in China with horrible access to credit. So you can see why folks are so excited about credit tech in general. Besides being 40% of revenues, it's up more than 2.5% in the last three years, which is impressive, even for China. You can't be excited about Ant if you aren't also excited by this piece of the business. So we're
1: now at present day in our Ant Group walkthrough, and there are just a few more pieces of the puzzle left to update you on. The first being, that piece that Ant calls investment tech that's now 15% of revenues, that can't just all be from you a ball, Right. Can't just a money market fund alone get you one-sixth the way to a $200 billion company?
0: No, of course not. That division is now no longer just one investment product, but an entire platform of investment products called Ant Fortune, or My Caifu. Here, users can find 3,500 funds to invest in, representing 170 different partner asset managers. Ant claims to use AI to pair consumers with the best investment products for them. The business model?
1: It's simple. Fees based on transaction volume. The volume of investment enabled on the platform, which is more typically referred to as AUM, or assets Center Management, is about $600 billion, through this June, at least. I mean, UOBAL is probably just a quarter of that, since it was last reported at $173 billion. So the bulk of investment tech must indeed be from other products. Some of those are still owned by Ant, like Bao for investing in gold, Zhaotaibao, which is fixed income, and your typical mutual fund or ETF investments.
0: A lot of balls. but the important thing to note is that it really is just a marketplace, allowing asset managers to sell whatever it is that they have, and revenues are growing a lot slower than that of its brother, credit tech. Indeed, it's basically up 60% in the last three years, the same rate as the much more mature Alipay. But it kind of makes sense, right? Investment ranks lower than consumption in a household's
1: financial stack. But to have a thriving capital market, the Chinese government thinks more investment could be encouraged. CBIRC, the Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission we referred to earlier, has been pushing for more long-term investment into equities since the beginning of this year. Even steering a portion of the Chinese household savings of $10 trillion, so goes the logic, would be pretty good for the stock market. I mean, it's always been a goal of the government, so this isn't too new. But maybe that partially accounts for the faster growth we're seeing this year for Ant's investment tech business than we have seen in past years. Yup, it's up more than 50% year on year when you look
0: at results for the first half of this year versus 2018, whereas in the past, it's been more like a 20 to 30% growth. I'd say that's a positive indicator, but it also shows us how much government policy can affect this business. Although I still think in the long term, the promised liberalization of Chinese financial markets is a compelling tailwind. You just might encounter a lot of speed bumps
1: on the way there, that's all. Which brings us to our last business line, which is InsureTech, something we've skipped over entirely thus far. The main reason? it's still pretty small, clocking in at just 8% of total revenues. Growth was faster in the past when it was an even smaller base, but it's still doing 50% this year. Compared to
0: everything else Ant does, though, this is truly very, very small. The prospectus tells us that insurance premiums and contributions on the platform is not even $8 billion so far. If you're an optimist, your reaction is probably, that's tiny, which means that there is a lot of growth waiting to happen. And maybe
1: you're right. The bold case is that China is finally the second largest insurance market in the world, with over $600 billion in premiums collected. But it lags developed countries in percent penetration of GDP. Hey, don't look at me. I'm not an insurance expert. I'm just quoting you what Deloitte published on the sector. And according to them, most developed countries are about 10% of GDP in insurance, or at least 6.5%, like here in the US, whereas China is still at a measly 4.4%. And another way of looking at it?
0: Well, the U.S. has 4.2 insurance policies per capita, and China has 0.6. That's almost a difference of 10 times. Part of it is because the industry is new, yes, and there weren't a ton of products available, but part of it is because, well, you know, it takes time for consumers to be educated on what to buy and why to buy as well. So like all unintuitive things, I would say insurance is pretty unintuitive. It's going to take some time. Well,
1: it would probably have taken more time if it weren't for COVID-19, but that trend is likely accelerated. How much? We have no idea yet. But coupled with the fact that there are various opening up measures by the government to encourage foreign entrance into this space, this could get big sooner rather than later.
0: Yup, ownership caps for foreign insurance companies were removed earlier this year. And other policies, such as making it possible for you to sell your product directly to consumers, are more reasons to believe market liberalization is for real. And
1: if you're Ant, this can only mean good things. And what's great about the insurtech business is that the revenue Ant collects is 20% of the premium value transacted. Yeah, it received 10 billion RMB in revenues from a marketplace that saw 52 billion RMB in transactions in the last 12 months. There you go, 20%. Well, yes
0: and no. There is a little wrinkle in here, which I think is worth mentioning just because it's so weird, even though I don't think that impact is necessarily that big. And that is the fact that one of Anne's own products, Xianghu Bao,
1: is categorized as an insure tech business. I don't know that it has an English name, but Xianghu means reciprocal or mutual. Bao here is still the word for treasure, But the word for insurance or protection is the same sound. So the product in press releases is referred to as a mutual aid platform. The
0: way it works is simple. You pay a monthly fee into a giant pool of money along with other people. And if you get one of a hundred pre-agreed critical illnesses, mostly cancers, you can submit a claim to Ant, and if approved, you get paid a one-time payment of up to $43,000. So this isn't
1: an insurance product, but kind of complements whatever other insurance you might already have. Or if we think about the stats we talked about earlier, most likely don't have. And indeed, most of the folks buying Xianghu Bao make $1,000 or less a month, and a third of them come from rural China. You do have to be under 59 years old to participate and be in good health, but other than that, there is a good case to be made that It's more accessible than lots of other insurance products out there. It totally is. When it first started
0: in October 2018, it cost less than one RMB per month to participate. But now that it's at 100 million users, the monthly fee is 3 RMB, or about 50 cents. It's still very, very low compared to normal insurance premiums, but remember that it's also got very limited coverage, and there's been horror stories of Ant denying payouts, as well as using all sorts of growth hacking tactics to get folks to unwittingly sign up, all of which have brought controversy
1: to the platform. I would like to believe that this had the best intentions at heart. But again, I'm not sure that's compatible with profit. Either way, the run rate for Xianghu Bao alone, if we're just using 3 RMB a month and 100 million as rough estimates, accounts for at least 7% of Ant's insuretech transaction volume, and possibly more since the monthly payments have been increasing so much that Ant had to come out and say it was going to guarantee a cap of $27 a year this year. I think the main complaint people have is
0: just how opaque some of these metrics are, and how you kind of have to take the company at its word, even though there are inconsistencies like this one, where a product is categorized as insurtech and the company's own press releases make it clear
1: it's not insurance. Although I could just as easily take the opposite position and ask, do you really need all this detail? In the grand scheme of things, most of these balls, aside from Ball, which is AliPay, and maybe Yu'e Ball, they're just rounding errors for Ant. The prospectus is already 674 pages. Must we make it break four digits? Yeah, I can see
0: both sides of this one. The bigger question, as some of you have floated, is why Ant deserves a 10x revenue multiple based on trailing 12-month sales, when if you take the business apart piece by piece, you see that, for example, that huge credit tech piece accounting for 40% of Ant's revenues might be worth just five times to investors. Not revenues, but earnings. Yes, we're talking about Le Xin.
1: That's ticker LX, for those of you who haven't heard of the company. Hey, we visited Le Xin for our investor trip last year. They described themselves as the SoFi of China. And that's kind of what Ant Credit Tech is doing. But neither SoFi nor Le Xin have the all-important, extremely dominant Alipay, right? So you could make the argument that They don't have the closed ecosystem that Ant does, where you could theoretically give a consumer or a small business basically all the financial products it will ever need. Because you have that high frequency piece down. You have consumption, so you already kind of own the customer, and you can build a platform for anything they need from there on.
0: That's exactly why Ant and Tencent, too, are very hard to beat, In episode 11, we talked to Wayne Xiong, who is a very active fintech investor, and so has invested in basically a version of all of the products we mentioned that Ant has. But even he concedes that Ant is probably poised for massive success. Their
1: size, their stickiness, and just the breadth of their platform. Yeah, honestly, I won't name any names here, but not just investors. Even folks who directly compete with Ant on some of these products respect what they've done. It's just one of those things. Like, we can sit here and argue about valuations, but Ant is just so unique that it's difficult to say it doesn't at least deserve some premium because you could make a good case that the sum is gonna be much greater than the value of its parts. It's pretty dang profitable. It's got a 30% net margin. Okay, but fintech can be pretty profitable in general.
0: Let's not get too wild there. And all this stuff about Ant being very unique, it comes with a big cost. And that is, come on, everyone can see it. Ant is the consumer finance sector in China,
1: which you'd be very concerned about if you're the government. Which is why the government continues to make attempts to figure out how to rein an Ant group. In July, the Chinese central bank apparently urged antitrust probes into Alipay and WeChat Pay. Although so far... Those haven't translated into full-on investigations or anything. But there are whispers of changes to antitrust regulations in the pipeline, and that could hurt Ant as it tries to grow. And not just that, there are new rules coming out all the time. Literally, as we're recording this episode, for example, the government announced that it will cap loan interest rates to 15.4%, which will likely eat into Ant's margins. Since that's basically the jiebei business, and Ant is so heavily reliant on credit tech.
0: But the Chinese government isn't the only one who is keeping close tabs on what Ant is up to. Financial services are a sensitive sector generally, so it shouldn't surprise you that when Ant tried to buy MoneyGram, an American money transfer service,
1: in 2018, the U.S. government blocked the deal. Investments and acquisitions are a big part of Ant's strategy, Of any Chinese internet giant strategy, really. And Ant has, as you would expect, invested all over the globe. In fact, as of the end of 2019, it had invested in 171 companies over the last decade or so. And apparently, accounted for 35% of all global fintech investment in 2018. That's according to CB Insights. The most strategic
0: of those investments might be Paytm, India's largest e-commerce payment system, currently valued at $10 billion. But there's also Klarna, Swedish fintech unicorn that it recently invested in. And aside from fintech, it's also very active in investing in software servicing businesses, as well as local services businesses, such as Hello Bike, one of the few bike-sharing companies that survived all the bankruptcies in the sector and seems
1: to be doing quite okay now. This very large roadmap probably either excites you or scares you or both. I mean, it's exciting because we've seen how Chinese giants have used smart investments to build an amazing ecosystem, but maybe a little scary too, because of how much geopolitical risk there is in some of these places. I mean, it's one of the reasons that people are speculating that Ant is not listing in the U.S. and choosing a dual listing in Hong Kong and China instead although the company insists that this was always the plan. Anyway, aside from the U.S., we have all been watching the Indian-Chinese relationship deteriorate. Yup, India
0: just banned Alipay last week. But doesn't that make the case more strongly for doing investments instead of direct operations? Sure, there's still a risk, but it's lower, and also, and can depend on Alibaba for more visibility. It's got a big brother to help guide it through. Joe Tsai and Alibaba CEO, Daniel Zhang, both sit on Ant's investment committee. And of course, Alibaba owns a third
1: of Ant. Well, they really are quite intertwined. As you would expect of a spin-off, Ant's senior management mainly hail from Alibaba. Executive Chairman Eric Jing joined Alipay in 2009 and was its CFO, then CEO. He was both CEO and chairman of Ant actually until December of last year when Simon Hu, also an Alipay veteran since 2006, so even earlier than him, was promoted into the CEO role. And CTO has been at Alipay for even longer, since 2004, basically when it first started, but actually was just named into the role this last month after his predecessor, went on to become Alibaba's CTO instead. All within the family. I guess at
0: Alibaba, you also have a ton of cloud services and AI that you need to work on, but if you want to do blockchain, then you gotta stay at Ant, where you can work on Ant chain, Ant's blockchain-as-a-service open platform. We didn't really talk about it because this falls under Ant's innovation revenue segment, which accounts for less than 1% of sales. But if you're into blockchain, the TLDR is that Ant is really focusing only on the boring use cases of the blockchain. No
1: tokens, no coins, no DeFi, just pure utility. We mention it because Jack Ma has been very public about his love for blockchain technology which is probably why Ant has topped the blockchain patent charts in the last four years. And it has announced a slew of government partnerships recently. Things like using a blockchain ledger for residential real estate, etc. Although it's just so far away from the impact of the other business units that I don't really think you need to pay any attention to it.
0: And while there is more to talk about when it comes to AND, we are going to have to stop here because any more context, and this episode is going to run into triple digits too. So first things first, Ant's predecessor was Alipay, a digital payment service that Alibaba started to support its C2C marketplace, Taobao, because without an escrow service, there was no way for buyers and sellers who didn't know each other to trust each other. So that's what
1: Alipay did. Of course, as soon as you have users willing to connect their payment details to your service, you wouldn't want to just service them on your own Alibaba platforms. So soon, Alipay was adding partnerships so that you could use it to pay on other websites and even offline too. And meanwhile, it was constantly working with the banking system to make payments even easier, reducing the friction from multiple steps to just one, entering your payment pin.
0: Obviously, Alipay wasn't the only one to see this opportunity, and digital payments was booming. The Chinese government, who often steps in with regulations after an emerging sector grows in size, began intimating that they would be distributing third-party payment licenses, which Alipay would have to procure if it wanted to continue to operate. Jack Ma, believing that Alibaba's majority foreign-owned structure by that time would make it ineligible, quietly
1: spun out Alipay from Alibaba. Well, that was Jack's story. Yahoo, in particular, was incensed. This was a huge scandal at the time, but the shareholders eventually came to an agreement. Alibaba would receive fees from the newly named Ant Financial spinoff from now and have the option of converting to one-third equity ownership in the future. We go over the whole story in episode 11, our first tech bus show on Ant. That all happened in 2011.
0: WeChat has also burst onto the scene around this time, and to Jack Ma's credit, he recognizes quickly that mobile internet is the next big thing. So Alipay gets a smartphone app and QR codes are incorporated. Alipay continues to have over 50% of market share to this day, by the way, and in addition to having over 700 million MAU, it processed $17 trillion in transactions in the last 12 months although that only amounted to $8 billion in revenues, or 0.05% of the transaction volume. Still, this business accounted for 36% of total revenues, making it Ant's
1: second-largest revenue stream. Back in 2013, though, it was obvious that in China there was a gaping hole when it came to consumer finance. So Ant did a few clever things. It launched a money market fund with daily liquidity accessible in your Alipay wallet called Yu in 2013, and consumer finance products Huawei and Jiebei in the next two years. Huawei was like a credit card, and Jiebei was like getting a small loan.
0: You already know payments is the second largest revenue stream, and these three other products give us the first and third place revenue streams for AND. The biggest is credit tech at 40%, which Huabe and Tiebe fall under. Basically, Ant helps other partner financial institutions also conduct a small loan business online, and the current balance is $300 billion, with the bulk of it going to individuals. Business lending, though, is what folks focus on a lot because that's just a massive market that was previously inaccessible until online-only lenders like Ant owned MyBank came in to do super quick decision, data-driven loans at roughly the same default rates as traditional banks. All of these factors together mean that the credit tech piece of the business looks to be on a run rate that is going to be more than triple what it was doing just three years ago.
1: Which brings us to our third largest revenue segment, investment tech. Remember that money market product you of all? Well, it's now part of a bigger platform on which and partners with other asset managers and sell their fund products as well. It's currently at 15% of total revenues and has enabled $600 billion or so of transactions so far. If you are counting, these three pieces make up
0: over 90% of Ant's revenues already. So what's left? Well, insure tech. Insurance is in a pretty early stage in China, so on a percentage basis, this piece is growing the fastest. But it's also the smallest at 8%. Again, Ant has chosen to provide a marketplace. And with the final 1% or so made up by new initiatives such as
1: blockchain, there you go, we just ran through all of Ant's businesses. And if you can't tell, only the payments business is, in a sense, proprietary. The rest are all platforms. In fact, they're all digital finance technology platforms, which is how Ant groups them right now. 35% of the revenues are from payments, and the rest, credit tech, investment tech, Insure tech all go into this platform category. You see, Ant wants to be as little financy stuff like payments as possible, and as much tech as possible. Why? It's simple government regulations. It
0: may already be under risk of triggering antitrust investigations in China. There's all that risk. Why not just have partners take responsibility and just provide the technology? Right now, 98% of the credit balance through Ant is underwritten by partners or securitized. And Ant is making enough money to
1: spare. Net margin, 30%. So there you go. Ant's colossal size is both its biggest strength and its most obvious weakness. But there's no doubt that it has done a tremendous job reinventing itself as a tech platform services provider from the mostly payments revenue that I was receiving just a few years ago. And having all these pieces bundled together, all these users, all this transactional data, makes Ant quite a unique beast. I don't think there's anything quite like
0: it. That's what bulls say, that even though each piece alone might not be so highly valued, but together, it's like this uber platform that dominates in every aspect of consumer finance. Maybe soon to be small business finance too, although it should tread lightly there. Banks are already whining, even as they acknowledge Ant enables them to do new
1: businesses. And at the end of the day, does it really matter? Ant is not going public in the U.S., it's doing a dual IPO in Hong Kong and China. In China, it's going public on the high-tech specific one-year-old Star Exchange in Shanghai, which we talked about back in episode 40. The first batch of companies, 25 of them, are currently trading at 133 times earnings. Yeah, There's a lot of exuberance there from local investors who just never had this kind of access to high-quality tech companies in the past. But are also kind of nuts
0: anyway, as we discussed in the episode on the Chinese stock market. And anyway, we are talking here about the biggest IPO, not just on the HKSE or STAR, but of all time. I'm expecting chaos. What about you,
1: Ray? Oh, for sure. It's going to be crazy. A company that made $18 million in profit every day the first half of this year and is still growing 38% year on year in the middle of COVID? I'm not sure people are really going to even register the proposed $200 billion price tag. I mean, buying Ant is a bet on all of Chinese digital finance. It's such a big company that it practically is the sector, at least right now. Being
0: so big, is that good or bad? What do you think? Let us know. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to write us that review for your free Extra bus subscription. Have any questions or suggestions? Email us. We really enjoyed putting this together and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at Pandaily at TechBuzzChina and my personal Twitter account is Y-I-N-G-L-U 2020.
1: And my Twitter is spelled R-U-I-M-A. TechBuzz China by Pandaly is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on Sub China. is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Taiwei Chen and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening.